Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Vocal Action Podcast, where community and culture collide. I'm your host, Roshana Roach, the global strategy and social impact leader, better known as the around the way girl going around the world. And today I have uh, a very special guest. Uh, We have Kylie here. uh, And the reason this is special for me is um, Kylie and Maggie, who may join us later on the show, um, were actually my first clients, not paid, but my first clients um, with Vocal Action LLC when they started and initiated a national conversation and city lo- city level conversation in Boston that is still continuing today, actually, around um, equity when they started Black at BLS. And so just to give you all a brief overview, uh, it was an initiative talking about what it's like to be Black going to Boston Latin School, which is the oldest public school in America. It's also my alma mater as well. Um, And it's Kylie and Maggie's alma mater. And uh, it is a predominantly white school. It's an exam school. So you have to take a test to get in. And of course, as those of you all that are listening can probably imagine having to take a test to get in. And then what we know just about disproportionality and disenfranchisement and socioeconomics, um, this just like in many other cities, leaves many black and brown students unable to um, have access to the quality education, to the level quality education that Boston Latin School provides because it is a, I I describe it as a public school with uh, a private school education and resources. And that is in large amount um, due to our very successful and very giving alumni. And so, uh, yeah, so that hashtag started a national conversation uh, that needed to be had. And we're going to briefly touch on that and where Kylie is now today um, in her life and how that movement, her starting that at a very young age, um, you know, prompted her to do what she's doing now, where she's been since. And yeah, I'm really excited to have y'all on. Um, really excited. So, hey, Kylie. Hello. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course, of course, of course. So, uh, tell the people just a little bit about who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm Kylie. I am Boston, born and raised. Um, my family is West Indian. My mother was born in Barbados, and my dad's family is Haitian. So, Raised by West Indian parents um, in Boston all my life. And um, my mother worked very hard to put herself through college. Like she paid for it herself. She took that initiative herself. So my entire, I was four when she graduated from um, from college. So like my entire life education has been the end all be all. Like you, my parents would always tell me like, you are smart, like you're amazing, like you're gonna, you do well in school and you're gonna do well in life. So I always like had that mentality. Um, But I graduated from Boston Latin School in 2016. And then I graduated from Temple University in the beginning of our pandemic in 2020. 
Um, and now I am a full-time Boston Public Schools teacher. I just completed my first year of teaching. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I forgot to say that after I graduated from Temple, I completed Boston teacher residency and got my master's in secondary education. And now I'm licensed to teach middle school ELA. Um, so just finished my first year of teaching and now I am moving on to my second year of teaching at Boston Latin Academy where I will be teaching seventh grade ELA there as well. Awesome. So let's take a, let's, this is actually full circle in a way. Yes. Um, and so I want to, I guess, start at the starting point or what the starting point of this conversation is going to be for the circle. Um, for those of you all that don't know, um, as I said, Boston Latin School is an exam school and there are three exam schools in Boston. And so you have Boston Latin School, which is uh, the top ranked. And then you have Latin Academy, which used to be girls Latin when mm -hmm. uh, they had the separate boys Latin and girls Latin. And then you have the John D. O'Brien School. And so uh, I want to talk to you because now you're about, I want to talk to you about your mindset and maybe what you were told or what you thought, you know, going into Latin school as a 60. Uh, mm -hmm. 60 stands for seventh grade because uh, the exam schools, you can go in in seventh grade, uh, which means you'll be at the school for six years, or you can go in as a BZ, which is a, I guess, a 9B student or some sort mm -hmm. of B student. Um, and so we call them BZs. And now Kylie's about to teach an incoming class of 60s at Boston Latin Academy, which was right across the street of where I lived when I started Latin school. Wow. Um, yeah, I lived right there on Humboldt, right there in those towns. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> right in Crestwood, shout out to Crestwood. So <laughs> you're about to inspire those new children. Can you talk about what you felt as a 60 going into Latin school? Mm -hmm. um, well, when I started at BLS, I did not want to be there at all. Mm. I was, I went to charter schools before Latin school. So I was used to a very small school community. Um, I knew everybody in my grade. I knew all of my teachers and my teachers knew my parents. Like I was used to the very small community and I had just started at a new school in fifth grade. And then I was leaving in seventh grade and the school was a five through 12. So I felt like, why did I only stay at this school for two years? I love it here. It was right down the street from where we live. Very accessible. So I was miserable, but my parents were like, you know, we're saying you have to go, so you're going. So I and didn't where did want you to live? be there. I live in High Park. That's where you so lived in High Park? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was very upset. Um, and I didn't really know much about BLS or the exam schools before I got to sixth grade and the teachers were like passing out the forms like, oh, you know, to sign up to take the thing. And my mother graduated from Latin Academy. Okay. Um, but I still really didn't know. So I remember going in for 60 orientation um, and just being very taken aback by the amount of students that were there. I'd never been in a room with, there were like 200 and something kids there. And that wasn't even the whole seventh grade class. And I didn't know anybody. I was just like, where do I sit? Where do I go? So then our headmaster or head of school is the term that is used now. But at the mm -hmm. time when I was in seventh grade, the term headmaster for the principal of the school was still used. 
Mm -hmm. Um, so the headmaster at the time, um, we filed from the dining hall to the assembly hall. And if you've ever been in Latin school, you know that in the auditorium, there is a freeze. There are two freezes, um, one that's wood and one that's like on the ceiling where they have all of the last names of notable alumni. So I see like Quincy Adams and Kennedy and Franklin, all this stuff. And I'm like, what? Like These presidents or whatever, like went to this school. That's crazy. And you see like all the portraits of the headmasters, all these white men and uh, Miss Kelly, the only woman up there at the time. So That's I was Kelly. like, okay. Yes. Yeah, so I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm some, I'm, I can tell that I'm somewhere important. And we sit there and they tell us that there's like 480 something people in our class and we are like 60s and they're explaining all of this and she was saying you know latin school is a very hard school and you know we used to tell people like look to your left look to your right and at least one person sitting next to you like won't be here anymore but we try not to perpetuate that message anymore and i remember being like why would she say that <laughs> yeah yeah it's that? funny i i remember that um and similar story i I learned about Latin school because my mom put me in a program called Stepping Stone, which oh, okay. was a like exam private school prep program for inner city youth. Um, I don't know if it's still the demographics now, but when I was there, it was a lot of inner city um, mm -hmm. young people. So primarily black, brown and Asian um, mm -hmm. were the communities because, you know, we are the people that populate Dorchester, Roxbury, right. Madison and things like that. And so... Um, I took the test, but I still didn't really understand, like you said, the gravity, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I got I got into the first choice. Right now, I was going to go to Latin Academy because, as I said, Latin Academy was right there in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I already knew the building being in Stepping Stone because they rented out the space for the summers and the Saturday programs. So mm -hmm. I felt, I'm like, I just want to go across the street. But my dad, who is also from Barbados. Mm -hmm. Like your mom, he was very much um, aware and knowledgeable of the importance of like testing into a school because yeah. that is that follows a very um, uh, English model of testing. And that is what they do on Barbados as well. You know, you have big exams and that's how they place you. And yeah. so he wanted me to consider Latin because I tested high enough to be able to choose which of the three schools I wanted to attend. And mm -hmm. I remember going there. And I was really not impressed because like you came from a small school and I was just like, I saw some people I knew from Stepping Stone. Mm -hmm. I remember specifically the look to your left, look to your right. And they said, one of you is not going to make it. And immediately it built competition because I was yep. like, oh, it's not about to be me. Like, yep. so y'all, y'all got to go. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? <laughs> yep. um, it immediately built that. But I actually ended up choosing Latin because their colors were purple and white and purple is my favorite color and oh that's literally as you know i was 11 years old going into that school so that mm -hmm. makes sense you know that that's how i chose how i chose the school and also i guess there was a sense of wanting to make um my dad proud because i knew that was the school that he wanted me to go to my mom um was really just happy that i tested and i got in but mm -hmm. i didn't know the gravity until that sunday when i after i decided i was going to latin they announced that church and the whole church like stood up and they were clapping. Wow. 
And I was like, oh, this is like a big deal. You know yeah. what I mean? Because even the people on the walls, I didn't even know that I associate them with presidents yet. Mm -hmm. I just even, I just saw names um, that I recognized, but I didn't know, like you said, that they were presidents. But I didn't know until it was my own community mm -hmm. that like stood up and people were like crying, like like just so happy. And I was just like, oh shit, like this, this is like a big this is something to, like, yeah. to, like my community like why is everyone standing up i just got into a school <laughs> yeah yeah no i remember actually i did the 60 shadow program too where you get to spend okay. the day in the building um and i got to shadow a black girl um they but, tried to do that yes it was they very like, like that like I remember, I remember that I had this experience, but I don't remember what it felt like. Like I remember the day went by very quickly and it felt short because I was at a charter school getting out at 410 every day. So I was like, uh, this seems why like this seems very fast paced. And I was like, they only have 22 minutes for lunch. Like that blew my mind. So I was not, I was not feeling it when I first got there, but I made one friend during orientation and I was like, okay, maybe it's not terrible if I can go through with this one friend. And we stayed friends and we were on step squad together and we're captains together. So wow. yeah, I didn't do the 60. No, I did. I did the 60 shadow and I shadowed a girl named Soraya. Mm -hmm. I still know her, remember her. Um, and that's when Latin school, uh, the seventh grade and eighth grade, they were at the Annex. Sorry, I don't know if that's a different word, but the annex uh, mm -hmm. location. Mm -hmm. And that was actually my middle school. So I went to Mission Grammar School where they rented it out. So I knew that space. So I felt comfortable mm -hmm. um, because I was always in that area. Um, mm -hmm. And I saw stepping stone people. Uh -huh. I couldn't imagine the feeling because I felt lost. You know, I went from being like one of the smartest in my class to honestly, like one of the lowest scoring kids mm -hmm. at Latin. And um, I couldn't imagine going to school and not seeing those blue stepping stone book bags that we had mm -hmm. uh, just to find somebody that I knew, you know, I couldn't imagine what that was like. Did you feel when you entered the school building, did you feel um, lost? And if you did, the anxiety or whatever it is that you were feeling um, other than excitement, do you feel like it was due to race or like a combination of a bunch mm -hmm. of things? Well, I'd never been to school with white people before. Like, okay. I just, I, uh, like, yeah, I, I had one, two, one white girl in my class and one yeah, biracial. I had one white girl in my class in third grade. Um, her name was Paige and that was it. I'd never... Shout out to Paige. I'd never been to school with white people before. So I think I was also just shocked to see that many kids in general, but also that many white kids. I didn't, I mean, I did like musical theater programs or whatever in like the summer and stuff like that. So I've interacted with them like But your day to day, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my day to day, I did not have that. And I remember there's this one circle table in the front of the dining hall in the corner. It's the table that's the closest to the door. Mm -hmm. And immediately, because they weren't letting parents into the dining hall. They did mm -hmm. check in 
whatever the thing. So my mom was like, okay, you know, like off you go to the da. And I remember walking into the cafeteria and seeing all those people and just immediately sitting down at that table. Like, I don't even know who was sitting there with me. Like, I like, I'm a nervous sweater. So I like felt myself like starting to sweat. And I yeah. was just like, oh my goodness. And you know, I def I'm definitely like somewhat of a social butterfly. Like I like to make friends and socialize or whatever. But I remember in that moment just being still and just being like in shock that this was what my my schooling experience was going to look like with all these white people. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, nor did I know how to interact with them or engage with them. Um, so I just remember yeah. sitting at that table, that first table and sweating. Yeah, I'm gonna pause it here because I have I, I want to ask you a question, but mm -hmm. I see that oh, it looks like Maggie is on and she might be able to join or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but hey Maggie, how are you? So Maggie is the second half of the uh leadership, the spearheads of Black at BLS. So we're happy to have you. Um, if you want to just quickly introduce yourself. And then tell us uh, about your first day or first impression of Boston Latin School. Sorry, um, can you be questioning my phone just connected to the car? No problem. Tell us about your first day and first impression of Boston Latin School. All right. So, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Well, hello. My name is Maggie Elizana Well. I am a 2016 graduate of Boston Latin School, currently finishing up at Stoneman College, where I study Caribbean history and minor in African diaspora studies in the world. Um, my experience? Your first day. We're just talking about your first day. What was your initial impression? Okay, I can hear you now. Yes, we're just talking about your first day. What was your initial impression? Sorry, my first time. Yep, your initial impressions. We didn't really know or have any impressions. Um, we just kind of went in wanting to, noticing that something was off, something was wrong, conversations were not being had and there were tensions. And we wanted to go in and do something about that. And first of all, to do something to protect ourselves, really, like to create a safe space for us. Um, Wait, hold on, no, man. Your first on. impression of your first impression of Latin school. Oh, that is so not what I heard. Oh my yeah. goodness. Mm -hmm. Okay, my first impressions in Latin school was it was huge. It was very, it was huge. I came from a small Catholic school in West Roxbury. Um, so going to Latin school was a transition. I kind of went in feeling like anything was possible. You know, we're told this is the jewel, the gem of the city, you know, like this is the best opportunity that you can have. And like, this is it, you know, like you're with the best of the best. And um, so I would say I went in optimistic. My first impression was like, you know, this is the right space for me. But of course, as time went on, I realized it wasn't a space that was right for me or designed for me at all. Yeah. Um, so Callie and I both were talking about just the shock of going to a larger school 
Also, um, you know, Boston and multiple areas is a very segregated city. So just now being um, in a school that was, um, I guess, I guess coming from where where I came from, which was predominantly black, it was more diverse. Uh, but definitely, you know, in terms of equity and diversity, was not there. Um, just trying to being around more white students. Uh, Kylie, you said your mom actually graduated from Latin Academy. So did she give you the talk before going to Latin? Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. She did, was just... did you have a talk? No, I, my mom had no idea what was happening. Okay. <laughs> she, didn't know, she didn't know what exam schools were. The only reason we knew is because the school I had gone to was like kind of like a fear school. So mm. a lot of the kids were like, taking they they were all taking the ISE but they were also taking them to go to like Nobles or Roxbury right. Latin or like you know like just you know all the, yeah, the you know, school nice guys. school exactly so as my mom is you know hearing kind of other parents or people talking about it then she's like oh, okay I guess you can take the test too yeah I um for for um for me it my parents did give me a talk um, you know, they were like, uh, we're going to go to this school. This school is going to look a lot different than your current school. And I don't know, both of my parents work in the neighborhood of Latin school. So maybe, you know, they saw that outside a cousin who graduated from Latin school in um, 1997, I believe, either 97 or 98. And so I had the conversation about like, this is going to be hard. You're going to be a minority. Um, you know, just don't let them get to you. And like, my dad was very much like, you remember what you're there for, you know? Mm. So you may face adversity because the kids, especially my cousin graduated in 97, which I, I believe was the last year um, that they had quotas, you know? So she dealt with the whole, um, hearing people's opinions about that. And so they definitely tell me like, people are going to think that you're not supposed to be here. Um, but you just remember that you're supposed to be here. You took that test, you earned your spot and, okay. you know, just, just push through. So I'm grateful now listening. And when I met you all and, you know, just hearing more black students that went to Latin school, their stories without having that talk, I'm grateful that I did have that talk because mm -hmm. when things did happen, um, which definitely did not rise to the level of, where you, of, of what happened with you all. But, um, you know, when I did have those moments, when I did experience racism and microaggressions, um, I was already expecting that. Yeah. You know, um, I already knew that. And so I was, I felt like, okay. And at that time, my favorite book was, uh, and still is, um, Oh my gosh, now it just slits me just because I'm trying to think of it. But it's by Melba Patilla Beals. And it's um I'm gonna have to look it up before because I don't know. But it's about the little the inter integration um of the schools in Arkansas. Mm. And so um that was my favorite book at the time. And so I felt like that little girl, you know, I felt like Ruby Bridges, even though like people weren't going to be like, you know, um, I'm just muting you, Maggie. Okay. Cause you have, I know I was going to say the book, um, was it warriors don't cry? Yes. Warriors don't cry. Yep. I love that book too. Yes, actually, yes. We actually had black read it as like one of the book club books. 
Yeah, yeah. So that being um, that being the book, I felt like, you know, that young girl integrating that school. So I also think that mentally was like, I was expecting like the word. Mm-hmm. So then we go from you all experiencing this new school that is big, racially the uh, makeup is completely different. You know that is something important, but you're not sure like how do you fit in that? And we get to 2015, right? 2015, because that's actually when I started my business. And I started shortly after the Michael Brown shooting, um, Michael Brown killing, murder um, of of young Michael Brown. And this happens. Mm -hmm. And take us through what you all were experiencing um at that time Mm. um well after mike brown was murdered um i remember like or i remember that like we had space like i knew that we had space like that we would talk about these things in black and also i was on step squad so we would also like have these important conversations or express like how we were feeling about things but this was also the rise of twitter like Twitter was just getting on and popping at this time. So a lot of information that we were getting and we were talking about and a lot of the news that we were seeing were happening on Twitter. And yeah, I like remember talking about Mike Brown, but it didn't really get like heavy and didn't really get like emotional until Darren Wilson was not indicted. Like it was the indictment of the non-indictment of Darren Wilson that really I know like for me personally and like it caused like us to come together more like as a collective that really like shocked us because not only was Mike Brown murdered but there's no justice um for this murder there's no like follow-up or reparations at all so it was really the emotions that like came with the disappointment and not necessarily shock but like just we were so disappointed just disappointment um, but that disappointment was then very follow- followed by even more disappointment from our classmates. Um, mm-hmm. Because then, again, on the rise of Twitter is where we're getting most of our information. So this is also where we are expressing ourselves the most. And myself and Maggie and a bunch of other Black students, you know, were retweeting people who were at the demonstration, like retweeting, like, the safe points and how to get use milk to, like, get tear gas out of your eyes and stuff like that. Um, and how like this is so unjust and like who you what senators you can call and etc just expressing our frustration as well when then we have our white classmates responding to our tweets or putting out like racist and derogatory messages in regards to Mike Brown or saying you know they're glad that Darren Wilson wasn't indicted like he was just doing his job and Mike Brown is a was a thug and all these other things And it was just disappointing to see our classmates tweet that and then respond extremely negatively to our own tweets or their or our responses to their tweets Mm. also like and it's like it's the same thing with um with darren wilson not being indicted i don't think i was necessarily shocked that Mm. my classmates felt this way and felt strongly enough to put this on social media it was just the disappointment. Like, it's 2015. You go to school in Boston, Massachusetts. 
and like you still feel bit you feel big and bad enough to like post this in public like you feel big and bad enough to say like respond to my handle this is how you feel and then you're gonna sit next to me in class the next day that was a different type of like your trash like disappointment yeah yeah i couldn't have imagined um navigating social media during that time um at latin school or even just in boston i mean just trying to like navigate the uh, main boston latin school page on facebook mm -hmm. during that time was hard um when you all started Black at BLS, because I just did not know. I, I mean, I like you said, I wasn't surprised, but I just did not know that so many people could graduate from Latin school and live in this world and um, still feel those things. Um, so, so yeah, that was that. I, I I totally understand. So you all are now like you're in class, you're dealing with this every day. Um, and so was it primarily the tweets that sparked you all to call me or, um, were there other things? Um, there were definitely, it was definitely accumulation of things. Um, like it's from the beginning, from me, I always had a bad taste in my mouth because I was on step squad and step squad was a group of primarily black girls and we were consistently being forgotten, abused or mistreated. Um, so like that was something that always had a bad taste in my mouth. Like the cheerleaders were never treated this way. The cheerleaders were never, they never forgot to order a bus for them. They like, so I already had a bad taste in my mouth. Mm -hmm. Two, um, we had my, um, whatchamacallit, my AP statistic teacher at the time. Um, he like, I had a pass to leave class early to go to the pep rally. And I went to the front of the room at the time that was written on my pass to give him my pass. And I guess he was like trying to be funny about it and refused to take my pass and said that he would only take this white man said that he would only take his my pass if I said like, if I referred to him like as my master, like because he's a master of statistics. So he wanted me to refer to him as my master. We also had a student and who just was- just for clarification, Kylie's leaving early to go to, to attend the pep rally because Step Squad uh, performs at the pep rally. So, right. Yes. We also had a student threatened to be lynched by one of mm -hmm. her classmates in gym class. And when this student made this threat, he did have like a jump rope in his hand. Um, so like, it was very frightening for her. Um, we as a club as black which was the student organization that um was founded a few years before we graduated by some alumni but black stands for black example. leaders black leaders aspiring for change and knowledge um it's an acronym so this was a club so it meant after school but we had an mlk assembly every year to honor martin luther king and his legacy because you know mlk has history in boston and it's important that he's celebrated, not just on MLK Day, but you know, BLS is whatever. Mm -hmm. So Black had been pushing for more involvement in the planning of this ceremony. How are you like pulling people from class for an hour for one period, which isn't even a full hour actually, to have this assembly and you're not even including like the Black student organization in this celebration. 
So we were pushing for that, pushing for that. And when they were finally like, oh, okay, we'll let you all help in planning, we were completely like ignored and walked all over and was basically just given an agenda or a program and was like, this is what we need you to speak and this is what we need you to say. Like no real input whatsoever. Yeah. So the different the different lacks of consideration, racism, mm-hmm. um, microaggression, mm-hmm. uh, silencing that you are facing every day. And um, whether it's clubs that are either predominantly black or that are specifically for black students or as individuals as students are also a part of the same issues that ultimately lead to a Darren Wilson murdering a Michael Brown and mm-hmm. then getting off. Right. Yep. So like some people find it hard to make those connections, you know, and feel like they're two separate things. Also, then living in a city that has its own history um, that's now being retold on network TV, um, you know, with uh, racism in its mm-hmm. police department, you know, like can it's all it, it's all just tied in. And then being at a school where you know you're a minority, not because there aren't other equally or smarter uh, black and brown young people in the city of Boston, but because the education system in Boston and the access to quality education is limited for black and brown students who, if I'm not mistaken, majority populate Boston public schools. So, which is crazy because how can you attend Boston public schools for all those years and still not meet the standards to attend a Boston public school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So all of those things can make it hard. And then you top on the fact that you all, like you said, are with social media. I I, I believe it heightens that, you know, because um, I remember I was out there marching to go to class and I was in grad school in DC. So I would go to class and march and it is heightened. You know, you do, it's every day because- mm-hmm not just Michael Brown in this situation, but it's also just like the everyday things that you're facing in the environment that you're in um, that make it difficult. Uh, Maggie, so if you want to speak a little bit about then now it's the culmination of all these things and what was the final straw that put you all into hashtag black at BLS? Um, it was definitely a lot of things that came together before we um, made the video and kind of came up with the hashtag. Um, definitely the spark, I think, for everyone was um, the non-indictment of Darren Wilson and also seeing how people reacted to the protesters during that time because it forced us to kind of pull ourselves away from the classroom and our day-to-day and realize, you know, place ourselves in the world. And as we did that, we also saw just how privileged certain students were at our school because they were able to proceed with this mentality that, you know, what had occurred was okay. Um, And from there, we kind of were just little revolutionaries on campus, I would say everyone in black everyone we just really wanted to be vocal about the hurt that we were experiencing from other students from society from the police just like kind of the injustice that had compiled um and brought us to this point in our society 
um, and we really had an agenda about um, uplifting Black voices within our school and making sure our stories were shared and told uh, without, you know, being whitewashed, without being pushed under the table, without being shoved aside. So from that point on, we were really intentional about the programs that we had, the conversations that we had, the community meetings and organizations that we brought together, um, the guest speakers that we had within Black, um, and the guest speakers that we had. So like Kylie was talking about with the assembly, that was, you know, it was, it was a huge undertaking for us. We wanted it to become a huge undertaking for us. Like we really wanted to be involved in the ceremony. We really wanted to pay tribute. We really wanted to use it as a time to uplift the Black community, the Black students, and to show that they had a place, that they were wanted, that they were celebrated. But because of the resistance that we felt, literally at the end of the, of the assembly, after, you know, all the going back and forth, trying to fill out these forms, trying to get the guest speaker that we actually wanted, you know, just, just all this resistance we were um, experiencing it all in just trying to plan an assembly, um, you know, trying to plan something for our school community. So at the end of the ceremony, we're like, you know what, this this is it. Like, you know, of course there were all these things leading up for two years, but there were all these things leading up for two years. But after the assembly, we're like, you know, this is it. We're gonna get together in Miss Pitchell's room. We're gonna, you know, really put all the ideas that we've had and we've discussed and pick one today and let's go with it. And that's how it became what it became and also we were experiencing this with the assembly but we were still upset and salty because the tweets that were said by our classmates after the non-indictment of darren wilson we printed them out because we were like this like you should not be able to conduct yourself like this online as a student of this school especially because our, our these students were saying hateful things like hateful things to black students hateful things about black students so we were like this like in my mind at the time i didn't even know what hate speech was and what it was classified as and the laws around it but i was just like you deserve to get in trouble for this so we should print this out and give it to our headmaster so Maggie and the other president of Black at the time printed out the tweets and put them in a nice one-inch binder. And the tweets filled the one-inch binder and gave them to our headmaster. And she said she's going to look into it. It was not until the birth of Black at BLS and our physical outcry like to the public about what we've been experiencing that we were then told that the students who were, who were tweeting those things were spoken to by our headmaster yeah. yeah and i feel like at that point that's when i was brought in so mm -hmm. i got a call you know just late at night like we submitted this and nothing's being done like what is it that we do you know and like you said the advice was um like uh um joaquina who is in um on broadway she just won a tony um for um paradise square says let it burn at that point you know what i mean because what you all were experiencing uh is i i think everyone not everyone but i think many black students who have attended latin school throughout the years throughout the decades can relate to something um that they experienced going there whether they were prepared for it or not because i think that's the other thing that even admittedly for me right when I first learned of it, I was like, 
okay, you know, be focused. Like, don't worry about the white kids. You know, that was my initial thought. And I know that that was also shared by other actually white parents, you know, and white students. But what I had to realize was that just because I was, I was told that this was going to happen. So I was going in there, you know, like Melba Patillo Beals, you know, going into my integrated school doesn't mean that it was right that you have to go through this. You know, just because you're told you have to doesn't mean that it's right. Just because something is a law or something is a known practice doesn't make it right. And um, and so at the time, you all did a public outcry, which included um, getting the media involved, um, which uh, from your local newspapers to your local news outlets. Um, notifying alumni about this and parents, uh, which then organized various parent groups, even offshoot of support groups, because there was a main support group, but only supported to a certain extent, which then created an offshoot of another support group, <laughs> um, which were, uh, you know, ride or die to the end. And then also um, a uh, an alumni group, you know, um, getting Black alumni together to help support and then also sustain some of the things that um, you all were asking for, which included a class, which included um, cultural competency training, um, which included more funding, mentorship programs, all of which uh, to Latin's benefit are things that have been institutionalized um, today into the curriculum. And so I do want to take a pause just to give Kylie and Maggie their, um, you know, their flowers for this, because you all, I believe, were like 16 at this point, 16, 17 years old. 18. 18, taking mm -hmm. on this. Like, I was 17. Yeah, taking on like an entire system. Um, and if you live in Boston, Boston is like a Chicago, you know, like it's, it's very old, very, <laughs> very, you know, can be very stuck in its ways. And so for two to for two little black girls, you know, to try to take on something as big, which you don't even realize going back to the magnitude of the school, when you take when you took on the school, you probably didn't even realize that you were actually taking on an entire city, you know, that you were taking on an entire institution of racism. Because you're just like, I just want to go to school and not have to worry about people feeling this way about me, not people approaching me with the news, being able to have the same resources as the predominantly white after school extracurricular, you know what I mean, activity, um, which is why it then got national attention, you know, where then you all are like speaking to councils and in the New York Times and Politico, um, just to name a few, like this was a conversation um, because what began to happen on Twitter, which is the power of social media, which is what I'm so proud of, you know, um, the younger generations for being a user of social media, is that there were other students in same situations, Black students going in predominantly, predominantly white schools and institutions high, of higher education, colleges, learning about Black at BLS and being like, well, I'm Black at my school and I'm facing the same thing. You know, and so it sparked this entire outcry of what it means to really be a minority um, in in one of our primary institutions, which is education. So since then, um, as I said, the Latin school, and I hope that I'm able to um, interview, I would love uh, to interview 
uh, Miss Garrett actually, uh, <laughs> because she Miss Garrett uh, replaced the replaced the headmaster or head of school at the time. She's the one that changed the name from headmaster to head of school, if I'm not mistaken. And she was a black student that graduated from Latin school, also um, a black student that came back to teach at Latin school. And whether you had her or not, she was, it was good to always see her face and she always had an open door um, to talk to students. So then since her transition um, to being uh, the head of school, they had cultural competency workshops um, they, uh, still have the program, which is expanded into a, um, a black history week long program. They're honoring black students. I had the privilege of speaking at the, uh, virtual graduation for the black and brown students, which was great. Um, they also have a mentorship program, which they're trying to get off the ground. They have two classes. I just learned this year two classes of African-American studies at the school, like that's crazy. So they added the second course this year. And so while all of these things have been, because that was 2015, um, right? That was 2015 into 2016. So just like thinking about the past six years, we know that it takes time to implement these things, but look how much what you all wrote then that many people wrote off is still, you know, is now being implemented. And the school board is now still contemplating that same question. Is this fair? You know, is is the idea of Latin school fair? And not not is the school fair, but is the process to getting into the school fair, given the context um, that the process leads multiple black and brown, many black and brown students out. I can't tell you, while I was at Latin school, I actually used to talk to middle school students. Um, so I used to go into middle schools and talk to students about Latin school. And I can't tell you how many of them didn't even know what Latin school was. Um, and it's because while it is in the city, it's so it's still so far out of reach um, for the students that look like us in Boston. So yeah, I definitely want to give y'all y'all flowers. Y'all really inspired me um, being like my first client um, and just really uh, pushed me to learn about PR and advocacy and uh, just your parents, you know, stayed on me. And I'm like 25 at this time. Like, <laughs> what the heck? Uh, you know, your parents stayed on me to protect you all. Like, because people didn't realize, I don't think, I don't know if they didn't realize or they just didn't respect the fact that you all were still students in the building. And so, Pete, you know, the um, uh, the media is trying to contact you all all day, throughout the day. And you're like, um, I still have homework. I still have school. But you're still trying to fight this fight. And so um, just you all reaching out to have your village whether it was me, whether it was um, your teachers in the school, um, Rose and Miss um, Pensham, whether it was, you know, Rasan Hall, of, I forget where he was then, but now he's, you know, works with AC, or at the time, I think he still worked with ACLU, Massachusetts, you know, just reaching out to these Black leaders in the community to help you all navigate this um, was, was, was definitely something I think was beneficial. And I also think it was something, meeting with Black leaders 
that also helped you all to realize that this was bigger than what you thought it was because I don't, you all can speak to this, but I know um, there was some of the demands from some of the black leaders and some of the things that they wanted to see. I know I was kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that's not where Kylie and Maggie are going. Like this, this has gotten kind of snowballed into something else, but that's because Latin school is kind of seen as like, even I've heard people say this about the Patriots, right? Like they are the white protection of, <laughs> of, of the system. And so, you know, that's when I realized like, oh, wait, wait, this is a little bigger than like <laughs> than that. So having that then, um, you all starting that, how did that then affect like, or if it did, your college choices and how you moved after that? Well, I knew that honestly I was tired of being in a white city and dealing with white people at school. So I applied to like six HBCUs or historically black colleges and universities. Did you apply to me? Hmm? Did you apply to Tuskegee? No, I didn't. I don't think I knew. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I yeah, don't tell you seven. to know about Tuskegee because I was just <laughs> talking to you about Tuskegee, but go ahead. We, we were, we were. But I think I had already sent in my applications and all that stuff by the time we hit met. So I applied to Spelman, Hampton, Howard, and Fisk. And I was like, I'm going to leave the state. I'm going to try to get as far as I can. Um, and I'm going to go to a school where I believe I will be celebrated, where I believe I can learn about my history. Um, I can learn about my culture, um, which is why I study Caribbean. And this is a big part of why I study Caribbean history now. Um, I felt like during the process of Black at BLS, my identity as, as Maggie, as a Black girl in Boston was slowly stripped from me. And, you know, kind of as the media came in, they were kind of trying to transform who we were and like kind of morph our message and where we wanted to go. So um, when I made the choice for school, I knew I, I kind of made a choice as a way to reclaim all of that and to reclaim myself. Um, and I continue to, you know, do social justice. I continue to do education advocacy and work with youth um, while I while I was and continue now to this day while I'm in Atlanta. Cool, 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 cool. Did you find that people? Did anyone like know you? I I tried really hard to keep it good. Keep it under wraps. Um, I am on the Spelman website once we were eventually nominated for Bostonian of the Year because there was a professor who I was really close with. Um, and I like told her and um, we returned to Boston. They flew us out to MassArt to like do um, a lecture series. So I was like, I'm going to be out of class. Here's the reason why. So then she sent the, um, you know, the article and everything to someone on campus. And then they put that on the website and stuff. But other than that, I kept it. I let, no, I just, I said, I'm going to college and I'm not doing anything. Like for my first year, I was like, I'm not doing any extracurriculars. I'm not, I'm not forcing mm -hmm. myself to go out of my way. I'm just going to go and kind of enjoy this, you know, the first, you know, couple semesters and just kind of release everything that we had experienced. Yeah. I, I had yeah. Yeah, you need it rest. Kylie, what about you? Um <clears throat> when um Black at BLS had 
started and like really started to thing momentum. I had already been accepted to and paid my deposit at Temple University. Um, so it didn't really play a role per se, like post black at BLS, but before I knew that like I wanted to be away from home. I wanted to be out of Boston. Like the city had just left a terrible taste in my mouth. Um, just even with my Latin school experience and just like being black in Boston experiences. Um, and I also was like the same when I first got to Temple. I was like, I don't want to do any extracurriculars. I don't want to do anything but school and explore the explore Philly, a new city. Um, like I felt like we were in North Philly. That's where Temple is. So I was with the black people. And I was just like, this is where I need to you be. like my people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I really did also try to stay under wraps because there were three, pe two people who were from Boston and or went to BLS who were a class above me at Temple. And one of them was close with somebody who worked for Temple News, like the newspaper. So when we were nominated for Bostonian of the Year and then we won, like, I guess she saw it because he had like retweeted it or something. And then she DM'd me like, oh, we'd love to like feature you in this article. And I was like hesitant about it because I was like, eh, I'm really trying to take my space because I felt like we're 18 years old. We're coming through this like new period of our life. Where we're trying to like find ourselves, figure out what we want to do with our lives. And then we're dealing with the media trying to tell us who we are and tell us what we're going to do. So I was kind of like, mm, I know you're a college newspaper, but I'm still a little hesitant. But I ended up still doing it, and they were really great and really nice. The Office of Equity did reach out to them, but eh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And when you say um, both of you all, when you all feel like you were trying to you know, remain under wraps because the media was trying to tell you, is that because did you did you feel like after that people – wanted you to now be advocates and maybe you weren't sure that that's really what you wanted to do. Going back to the conversation of like, you all started this movement. I'm not even sure if you all knew it was going to be as big as it was, right? Like you all started just like, yo, this has just got to stop. These things in our school building have got to stop. And it ended up being bigger. And maybe that's not what you all foresaw in your life, you know? Um, so, like, can you, what exactly were you feeling in terms of wanting to be hesitant and low-key? So, we were 100%, like, completely naive. Like, we thought we were going to post this video on YouTube, and we know, like, Boston Latin School gets a notification every time their name is put on the internet or whatever. So, we thought that they were going to see it, be like, oh, take it down, take it down, and we'll have a couple of meetings and solve the problems. We had no idea that we would be tackling like a citywide issue when we started Black at BLS. Like that's a fact. And like, we just did not know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think like saying like, oh, I, I didn't really know if I wanted to be like an activist or if that was like the best way for me to move forward was definitely a part of it. But I think like, I just felt like Black at BLS forced me well, like, it forced me, Maggie, you can speak for yourself, like, it forced me to grow up a little bit more quickly in, like, a completely different way. Like, I'd been captain mm -hmm. of Step Squad for three years and been involved in Black, and my mentor, like, Rose, like, she, like, was my mentor and really helped me 
become a person. And I would come to her with a lot of my issues, whether it would be classmates or teachers or people on step squad. And she really helps me with like conflict resolution or how to send a email to a parent that's like stressed about something with squad related things. So with her and even working with you, Rashana, and talking about how we send emails or how we make a statement like that forced me to like grow up really fast and really think about how what I say, it can be interpreted in certain ways because of how I look, because of my age, because I, of who I'm associated with. Yep. So I, I didn't I didn't like the feeling of people looking at me or people hearing what I'm saying, but not listening to what I'm saying mm-hmm. and creating their own like narrative. interpretation yep. and narrative. I, I didn't like that. And I thought and I felt like that was what was a very large part of being an activist. And when I went to college and I when I went to Philly, like I literally like just wanted to be a kid again. Like I just mm-hmm. wanted to be a regular young person who did who was just young, dumb, and broke. So I just, like, that's why I think I wanted to stay a little bit more low-key. But I don't regret anything. I don't regret anything that took place, but it was a a shock. But it's good you took that time to reset because that is true. You know, your entire senior year was riddled by, like, having to balance this now nationwide, citywide, um, which might as well just have been almost like a mafia you know, like um, you trying to take that on in addition to maintaining your studies. And there was some downsides to that, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm being pulled out of class. Um, and so, you know, I'm doing all these interviews. People are asking me for this. People had like very high requirements, I think, for mm-hmm. you all, which was um, one of my biggest like issues when I kind of jumped into mama bear mode. Like, yo, like these kids are students. They're trying to finish this student senior year. They want to go to college. They want to go to prom and like you calling them throughout the day. They can't just have in the middle of the day interviews like they have class and them doing that. They're missing their study time. You know, their grades are suffering for that. Their friends are suffering. Mm-hmm. For that. In addition to every time they speak out. Um, and because I think largely in the beginning, you all didn't have as much of a voice um, because it just like the swarm happened where it was like the perfect. It was like the perfect storm. Mm-hmm. You know, for Black Boston, really, to um to speak up on this issue, and with your voices just being lost in that, um, you know, I think your voices definitely needed needed to be heard, but people also needed to respect the fact that that you were students. I don't know if you all experienced this, but I even had some teachers that beloved teachers that I was like very close to, like unfollow me, um, block. I had to do some block. I've had to do some calling outs, like seriously. Um, and so it definitely severed uh, some relationships with people, like I said, that I I really loved at Latin, you know, and who really got me through. But this difference was just something I could not, I could not overlook. And still I don't overlook, even if, even if we're cordial now, you know, I'm just saying this here, we're cordial now, but like, I still remember how you how you acted and how you wanted to, you know, separate yourself um, from something that needed to be addressed. So and I get it. I get it. You know, I just know where the line is and we both respect that. So we all respect that. So um, that's the other thing that you are dealing with, too, having teachers um, 
asking questions and also making it difficult because some of them didn't understand. And then which teachers are on your side versus the teachers that aren't on your side. And if you're in a class with the teachers that not that's not on your side, they're also being a little more difficult um, during the school day. So all of that is a lot to put on 17 and 18 year olds. Um, but we also know that it's that age group and even younger that were always on the front lines of the civil rights movements. And so we know that it can be done. You know, it just takes the village to be able to support that, um, to support that. Uh, so last question, uh, what is next for Kylie and Maggie? Maggie, you shake her head looking around. Me to go first, Maggie. <laughs> what is next? It's such a great question. Um, um, we might you know, not I pride myself on, I thought I was an activist before Black at BLS, you know, I thought I was pretty well-spoken and I would fight for the people, um, but the experience, the whole traumatic year-long and, you know, two, three-year-long life, whatever, experience, um, forced me to really, um, reevaluate my core values and what I thought was important and what where my place is in the world and where I believe I can make an mm. impact. I do still believe, like, I aspire to be an education and civil rights lawyer because I think, and my experience definitely shaped that. I think it is important. I think the youth are the future. We are the future. I think our voices are really powerful, but we don't have the spaces to do that. So I want to go into education and civil rights to protect the students in those spaces to ensure that they have the voices they have they have the opportunity to speak up but also have the support behind them i want to be the support like i want to be you and rose and miss pinch and the people who helped support us through that difficult time um my journey to it is looking different you know life does what life does but um of course i regret nothing i'm so grateful uh, for the opportunity just just to be in it you know we didn't plan it we didn't know what was going to happen but it kind of just took us up in the storm, like in the eye of the hurricane, we just kind of swept up. Um, but it continues to, I would say, be a foundation of who I am and, um, you know, gave me a, a good vision of where I want to go in the future as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, in, I'm just interested to in calling it traumatic because it's kind of like saddening, you know, um, but I can, because in some ways, you know, we still need your voice and we're still going to have it just in a different way. You know, it just sucks because it's like there was already trauma there because your your requests and your grievances went unheard and unresolved. And then, you know, then you speaking up was also then traumatic. And I don't think it's something that we talk about enough, you know, of how oftentimes leaders of movements and people who speak out are often re-traumatized. Um, and how do we support um, those leaders mentally and physically and spiritually through that? Something that we need to navigate. Yeah, at the same time, like, you know, life was also, again, life was still going on. Like it was our senior year. Um, I My mom had breast cancer. So that whole yeah. time I was, you know, 
wondering if my mom was gonna die that whole time and like you know home isn't doesn't feel safe and then we go to school and like we see all these people and we know what they're saying and we know what they're saying behind our back and they're telling us we're ruining their senior year and it's like we just want to graduate we just want to be out we've been in this building for six years we've done what we had to do we're literally on the way out and it's like it's sucking us in again so that was hard to Mm -hmm. to balance and it was hard to work through it was hard to be in it um but at the same time it was a blessing because we knew who was really there for us we learned more about ourselves and um it you know i feel prepared for anything now you know throw anything Mm -hmm. my way i'm standing tall i ain't moving (laughs) yeah what about you kylie see mickey is like the big picture like big thinker person and I'm like just taking it day by day, like trying to, trying to survive. Like I think um, that's what know, made like, y'all such a good duo, though. Yes, yes. You know, right? Yes. That that that's what makes we, a good we team. Perfectly, you know? yeah. Like, it's perfect. But I am like, um, which we'll call it after going through everything with Black at BLS. And then graduating and finishing college during COVID, I did my entire year of student teaching and my master's program virtually. Um, So just like after all that, I'm very much of the mentality like of that I am like living for today and I'm like living for the now and like I'm only doing the things that like make me feel good and like feel good to do. So I'm going to keep teaching. Um, I like now for Boston Public Schools. For Boston Public Schools, yeah. So I like, I fit as I thought about where I wanted to teach. If I couldn't think about doing it anywhere besides home, um, and also because you know we are consistently revisiting the conversation of what do students need and like is Latin school is the existence of Latin school fair? Is the existence of Latin Academy fair? Like, is that fair? So I was like, I need to work with students that I feel like. I can give the most to, especially because we have such a shared experience for being living in Boston. So right now I'm teaching. I'm teaching at Latin Academy um, next year because they have a new excellent head of school who is a black man and has a vision. And I think our visions align and I'm ready to like hit the ground running and do the work. But I do say that and also say that in this day and age, like teaching is not a sustainable career. Like, I am excited to go back to school in three weeks, but I'm also dreading this. Like, Maggie and I talk pretty much, like, this summer, we've talked pretty much almost every day. But when September comes, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> we won't be talking as much. It is what it That's is. That's okay. It you is know, I love it. I love you no matter what. It is what it is. So I'm going to teach. I'm going to do it until I feel like I can't do it anymore. And if that is in two or three years, then, you know, I did my time. I have my degree and I'll try something new. But right now the kids are what keep me going and like bring me joy. And they're just, I teach seventh grade. So they're like super weird and quirky. And I like that. So that's, that's it for me. Yeah. I love hearing you all's journey and where you all are going, you know, to hear, uh, Maggie taking like the civil rights education legal route to really implement policies and challenge policies and systems. And Kylie, we have you on the micro level, really influencing the actual students and the parents and the buildings um, 
you know, that the kids, like the two of you all said, you know, started out in your 60-year journey thinking that this school was so big and it, I know this this is supposed to be a big thing and I don't understand where I fit in. You know, the both of you all are going to be working on the, the both of you all are going to be working from different means to the exact same end. Um which is which is so beautiful. So I just want to thank you all for taking the time to speak to me, to catch up, um, because I follow both of you on social media. So I see all your little stuff there and your lives. Um, but <laughs> but you know, just not having the opportunity to um I guess almost put a bow on something. Um is a really great is really great to be able to to do that and i do call it a bow um because i believe that is now being regifted uh to the next leaders and to the current leaders that are still asking those questions and still trying to figure that out and i really just want y'all to know like and i it, it's sad that it had to be such a crazy and traumatic experience for you all um but y'all really rocked something big like and i hope you all know that on days when you feel like i don't have any purpose or i'm not sure what's gonna happen or life be life in because it does when people tell you like or make you feel like you know you don't have a solid voice or what you know and what you do does not matter like i need y'all to remember that moment, the day that you all posted that video on YouTube, because that not only gave voice to you all, but it gave voice to tons of people around the world who are having the same conversations and have been like fighting something, fighting a system of racism, of inequity, um, of lack of access, lack of resources, for years and decades. So I hope that young people behind you all will be able to watch this and get some ideas on how they want to start their own initiative or continue their own initiative. I hope that leaders and parents that are watching this will get some ideas on how they can support their young person through transitions like this, support the young people as they go into situations where, you know, they might be a minority and these things may come up. Um, and I hope that it just gives hope that there's, I mean, everything can lead to something else, you know, everything can definitely lead to something else, but it's not, it's not without its sacrifices. And that's something that you all learned early. Um, and it's all something I learned with y'all too, because I, yeah, it, it, that it's funny that, that, Black at BLS follows me sometimes, you know, I got a whole new job in DC government and found out um, your demands were circulating uh, <laughs> around the community of DC, like with my name on it. And it was just like, okay, and, you know, uh, <laughs> but, you know, these, these, these are things that happen when you, when you're a part of something. And so, yeah, it's not, it's natural to want to lay low. And now you're finding your voice. So thank y'all. Um, do y'all want people to follow you or you're kind of like, I'm still laying low. Y'all can Google me. Yeah, they could Google me. Sorry. <laughs> I well, you know, I got my little art business. So if you yes, like that's art, art, I would like to 
mm-hmm, would like to support a young struggling black artist you can follow me at Megacy creations m-e-g-a-c-y underscore creation c-r-e-a-t-i-o-n-s and i think that's for everything good 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 so y'all follow the young black struggling artist no check out the website yeah check out the website and y'all follow but y'all also support you know drop some coins um drop the coins for your girl and kylie you're gonna have to google her um and find out what she's doing but you know where she works so uh you can see if anything (laughs) if anything is popping up um at the school maybe you'll see her on like a school board uh hearing or committee or something like that uh helping the students so thank y'all once again this has been another episode of the vocal action podcast um with kylie and maggie talking about black at bls and beyond stay tuned for another episode soon peace thank you for having us yes Thank you for listening to another episode of the Vocal Action Podcast, where community and culture collide. You can follow us on all social media at Vocal Action LLC. That's V-O-C-A-L-A-C-T-I-O-N-L-L-C. And you know what to do. Follow, subscribe, share, like, and comment to show us some love. And I look forward to connecting with you in this way on the next episode.